Okay, so the picture you see, kind of on the top left-hand side there, I found online, and it's a representation of the feeding of the 5,000, or those miraculous times when Jesus was multiplying uh, the, the meal, and where the disciples were sharing with a great multitude of people. It's quite a nice wee picture, isn't it? I know it's not massive there, but you know, a, a great example to us of how Jesus taught his disciples to share the good news. It was in a very open way. It was a very community way. You can't get much more community than all these people across the fields, can you not? And, you know, and at the end of the day, they were hungry. Yes? And at the end of the day, they needed food and sustenance. And Jesus, the, this God of heaven, saw that need. He saw two needs. He saw a spiritual need and he saw a practical need. And he met both. Is that true? And he met both by demonstrating a miracle of provision, multiplying the provision there. That's actually not where I'm going today, that, that particular uh, example. But I wanted to use that example to start this because it's very much what's in my heart as we think about opening up a free community meal. Yeah? Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yes? For people that we know are struggling to put food on the table and they're struggling to pay the bills in their house and they're worried about it and they're concerned about it so that's a current situation and we're called to do the same do our best with god's help to provide with what he's given to us but the message goes alongside the provision doesn't it and jesus also spoke and he expected his disciples then to follow him and do the same and in acts 1 he says, all of you have to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he says to the whole, basically to the whole world, he lists a few places and he says to the ends of the earth. So do you know what? That commission comes down to you and I. Everyone who says they're a Christian, it applies to us. Go and understand people's practical needs, but don't forget to share the message and the good news. That's what my heart is today um, to share with us. And hopefully I can click on if possible. Yes. So just read without much comment the original vision statement that when we sat in the early days before we had a building and we had a coffee house and we had anything uh, and we were in Bill and Kathy's house in Kirky and we prayed and we, we sweated over it <laughs> in the spirit and before we ever came we wanted to know what we were called you know there's no point in going somewhere if God's not called you to go and it must have been about a year we spent praying and, and just trying to really seek God but as part of that towards the end of that we had this vision statement and I think it's even more amplified today and with the idea around community meals even just as an example of this heart okay Moody'sburn vision through the freedom that we have in Christ we glorify and honor God we shine God's light into the community through building relationships and bringing hope and fulfillment into the life of every person as Christ has done for us. We love others as Christ loves us and have a passion to share the good news he brings. Amen. And that was, that's a biblical mandate there. Because you could go to scripture and you could back everything that's in there up, couldn't you? It was from scripture. It's true. But it was specific to us. That was what God commissioned to us and we believe it stands today. Build relationships with the community. 
bring hope and fulfillment into the life of every person. Love others and have a passion to share the good news he brings. So into uh, 1 Peter today, you could turn to it if you've got a Bible, I'm going to um, not spend a huge amount of time in each section, but I just wanted to take a wee flow through 1 Peter, which is written to Christians, to believers, and the principles, of course, apply through to us. So 1 Peter 1 verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, and if you know Jesus as your saviour, you're included in that, by the way, you might not know yourself as that. <laughs> to God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And isn't it true to say Christians are now scattered across the globe, aren't they? That was the beginning of it, and it continued and continued, and through, through persecution, in many cases, the church had to move and, and scatter. But actually, the good news about that was when the church scattered, the message scattered. So God sent his people everywhere, often through difficult times and persecution, but with the message of Jesus and the message spread faster, even under those persecutions and those scatterings. I want to encourage you about that, because sometimes we think we've got it hard today. We had it hard there as well. Threat of death and all these things. So the exiles scattered. The church scattered across the land. You've been chosen. You've been chosen by God. Every one of you. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You're part of his plan. You might feel like an exile. You might be scattered. You might be in a hard place. But God loves you. Not only saved you from your sins. But he's commissioned you. He's with you. And he knew all about this before it happened. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, becoming more like Jesus every day, when Jesus said this Holy Spirit will come, it was not just to give us the ability to speak a message, although it is that, it is that ability to speak, but it was also to change us, to make us new people. When Peter stood up in Acts 2, do you think he was the same man as he was before the Holy Spirit came on him? In that way, he wasn't the same man. He, became, he was becoming sanctified, he was becoming renewed, and he was speaking with fullness of the Holy Spirit and the people could hear all the people speaking in these unknown languages in Acts 2. So when the Holy Spirit came, ordinary people were able to speak extraordinary powerful things in God's Spirit that they didn't have a natural ability to do. Isn't that encouraging? But then that Holy Spirit, as we keep welcoming God into our lives and praying that he'll fill us, he continues to change us. You know, there's Peter moving from failure to fulfillment. He moved from failure. Letting, you know, letting Jesus down to fulfillment and fulfillment at being full of God's Holy Spirit. That's it's wonderful, isn't it? But it's available for every Christian. And what this sanctifying work calls us to be obedient, that's what it means. That filling, God will say, do this and don't do this. Do this and don't do this and you'll know one of the best evidences that you're saved is you start to have a conscience you never had before and i've spoken to christians who are saved during their life midlife and they really notice the difference don't you huge suddenly you've got conscious about things i shouldn't be doing this anymore or i should be doing this that's the sanctifying cleansing work of the holy spirit and then when you get those nudges 
and just look at the carnage. Because one time I said I had a nudge of the Holy Spirit for something. She said, I wish you didn't have nudges because it was a nudge to say to her to share about something God had done. <laughs> um, but Ke Kenny Borthwick talks about that. Just having a sense of when he, he drove past the house one time and he felt a nudge to go in and he didn't and he felt he learned a lesson from that. That sometimes God will actually nudge you to do something. He'll say, you should be in there doing that thing. Um, and we need, but we need to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And of course, we'll sprinkle, sprinkle with his blood. These are things that are hard to understand sometimes theologically, but what it means is you're saved through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God, perfect sacrifice. He lived a perfect life. His sacrifice is sufficient for you and I. He's our substitute. All those things, right? Paid the price we could not pay, says the hymn writer. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And oh how, oh, how our community needs to know that today. What it is to have grace and peace. But you only have it if you know the above verses and you know the truth and you're living in it. No. We'll move, move faster through these sections here. So, this again is explaining, right, okay, you're now a Christian. What does it mean and what should you be doing in life? Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. We just sang about it there, didn't we? He's given us a new birth as Christians. Into what? A living hope. We have a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. You know, we are, we are worried, all of us, about the cost of living, but the real treasure for us is what is stored up in heaven for us which is our salvation experience which is the gift of god to have eternal life in heaven with him isn't that that's the greatest gift that's the greatest treasure who <coughs> through faith are shielded by god's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times referring to the fact that jesus will come back again and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and if you keep reading on in the bible you'll see that Gives us hope for now when you know everything in the future is completely in God's hand and he has the victory. He's won it already and it's fully established in the future. He's won it already and the full working of it comes in the future. True? Hallelujah. I wouldn't be standing here if this wasn't true. It'd be hopeless if it was about us. If this was about us and our ability to do anything, then we may as well pack our bags and get home right now and go to bed. But this is a mission God has already accomplished for us. What he's simply asking you and I, and this is the wonderful thing I will never take in, ever, until I get to heaven, is why would God choose me? And why would he choose you? Well, his love is greater than we could, I think, ever ask or imagine. We just need to accept he loves us. That's a hard thing sometimes, but we have to accept then remember he's got the plan we don't work at this so in all this you greatly rejoice verse 6 though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials life is difficult and i'll move on quickly here and we'll give time to tony and jillian i really want to have them just to take time to share what we want to but life is tough we were not promised it was going to be easy and it was not easy for the christians in the early church they were under persecution and difficulty. They had to flee their homes and they had a struggle for finances and things, right? So let's not get discouraged just because life is tough. Yeah, let's not just get discouraged because the world's suffering an economic 
crisis and a pandemic. Because that is a fallen world that we are in. But we can rejoice in our Saviour, though now for a little while we have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your proven genuineness of your faith, which is greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So saying that our lives of obedience and our lives of doing what God tells us to do in the coming day bring even more glory to God. They bring glory to God now, but in the future it gets all perfected. We get pulled into that perfection in that future day when Christ Jesus is revealed. It's hard to take into your mind, isn't it? But we just need to grasp and trust that it's true. Though you have not seen him, you love him. We've never seen Jesus. Some people had the chance to see him and hear his actual voice there and you know, witness his miracles. But we love him, even though we've not seen him. We believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy when you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Scripture speaks for itself, it does not need a commentary. Commentaries and the ability to reflect helps us understand the scripture, but when you read it, it's so encouraging, isn't it? Isn't it? I encourage you just to try and get a Bible reading plan. I'm not perfect at it, as none of us are, but there's some really brilliant resources with commentaries on them, like the Bible in One Year by the Alpha Group and Nikki and Pippa Gumbel. You can even get an app on your phone that's free, press play, and it reads the scripture and it has a brilliant commentary and explanation from Nicky Gumbel who's really easy to understand and it's profoundly helpful, right? And I think the more you, there's Margaret coming actually, we've been praying for Margaret, she's coming. Um, so I just encourage you to, to our good friend Alan writes it, keeps saying you need to read the word in order to get the good stuff out. <laughs> and uh, I just encourage us to do that. So we're also a chosen people. I'm not even going to read through this. Look at it in your own time. Just for the sake of time, I'll skip through this. But I just want us to understand that when we're called, um, as Christians, we're not called in isolation. Okay, We're called as a group. We become a people. We, we're joined to Jesus, the living stone, but we're joined together as a spiritual house and it's there in the scripture and just for the sake of time I'm not going to read it fully out but go and look at it in your own time isn't that encouraging yes it's this it's a unit it's a spiritual unit your autumn some people said somebody said to me one time I don't go to I'm not in the church anymore and I said well if you're a Christian you're in the church if you're a Christian you're in the church even if you don't go to church it's just that you're not fellowshipping yeah of course you should fellowship, but if you're a Christian, you can't say you're not in a church, in the church. You're a chosen people. Okay, now, we'll just ask. Jillian's uh, just going to come up in a minute with this last scripture, just going to move into that. And please just take the time you feel you want to take. The kids will be okay for, for now, time-wise. But it says in 1 Peter 3, 15, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That last part, I want us to meditate a little bit on that. The way that you do it is really important when you're sharing things with people because people are hurting and very broken. And when they come in here in this community meal, they'll be like that. And you don't go, John 3.16, bang. 
you know? It's gentleness, respect. The way you do it's important. But we're supposed to share. Thanks, Jillian. Um, what does the good news of Jesus mean to me? I'm going to try and do this without crying, but I can't guarantee it. <laughs> um, quite simply, Jesus saved my life. And I don't just mean in terms of my eternal salvation and life after this death of this earthly body. I mean, Jesus literally saved my life. I was um, brought up in church, but in my twenties I walked away from God and I thought I could do it better on my own, but I didn't. And um, after some time, I came to a place in my life where I was broken. I was tormented in a marriage that I was in, and I was in deep turmoil and suffering from depression. And I started coming along to church uh, here. Uh, my mum and David used to come here. And um, over a period of probably about six or seven months, um, God began to soften my heart again and I knew that I had to recommit my life to him but I was just so tormented. There's verses in 2 Corinthians um, verse 8 it says for we were so utterly burdened beyond your strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death and that's how I felt, I was utterly burdened. Um, and I just kept thinking every week when I came in here and I walked out that I had to sort my life out before I could come back to God because I had messed up so badly and I was so broken that I thought I have to try and sort this out a wee bit first until I realised that I couldn't. And I, in December, um, six years ago, it's not 2016, um, I recommitted my life to God. And it, I would love to say that after that, that um, everything was great, but probably my life at that point went from bad to worse. The first year of coming back to God was really quite difficult. My marriage ended and I found myself on my own with um, the kids. And I was, I had an emotional breakdown, you know, everything just kind of I fell apart. But I had God. I had recommitted my life to God and although it went from being pretty disastrous to even more disastrous, I knew I had God. I knew I had recommitted my life to God and I had a hope and a peace in my life that I hadn't had for a long time. And I knew that no matter what was going on, that I was trusting him. I was trusting him for my future. I was trusting him for my children. I was trusting him to work all out. And I'm so pleased to be able to stand here this morning and tell you that he did. 
God has carried me through the past six years and I've held on to the promises of God the whole way. I've got a new hope in life. I have a hope in Christ. I'm trusting him for my life. I'm trusting him for my future. And God has rebuilt my life piece by piece. He's broken me and taken me to a place that all I could have done was to look to him. That's all I had. All I had was God. And I just looked to him for everything in my life. And he's never let me down. He's taken me from the mighty clay and he's now set my feet on a rock and I have a firm foundation and I have joy and peace in my life and my hope is in him. And you know, there's things that have happened over the past six years that I could not have dreamt would have happened, you know. God has just done some marvellous things in my life, personally in a spiritual sense. He's taken me to places that I never have experienced before in my walk with God when I was when I was younger. You know, I'm, I'm in, and it's not finished. And I'm, I'm, I'm open to what God's got for me. There's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but, you know, I'm trusting him. And <clears throat> it's just, it's wonderful this morning. He's, he's given me so much. He's blessed me so much. He's blessed me in my, my life. Um, you know, as I say, it's just there's just more things that have happened than I could ever have dreamt. Um, I want to just read um, a psalm to you. It's Psalm 40. Um, and it probably really just is how I'm, I, I, I've, where I've come from. And, and, you know, I was thinking um, last night about um, there's verses that he's he set my feet on a rock, you know, and I was thinking about the lighthouse and how the Graham actually mentioned this this morning, but a lighthouse shines out light, but a lighthouse doesn't just shine out light. A lighthouse is on a rock and it's set high and it's got the, the waves are crashing all around it and they're crashing up onto the rocks that the lighthouse is standing on, but the lighthouse is immovable. The lighthouse doesn't move. It shines out light and it's on a firm foundation and it doesn't move. And you know, that's how what I've found in the last few years is that when the waves have been crashing around me and my life is seemingly to be falling apart, you know, I'm still on this firm foundation and I'm not moved because Christ is my rock and Christ is my, my firm foundation and my hope for the future. So I'm just going to read Psalm 40. It's probably one of my favourites. Um, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll. 
the hold I have come in the scroll of the book that is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told of the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O oh God. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evil has encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappoint altogether to seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonour who delight in my heart. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my delivery. Do not delay, O oh my God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can you hear me without that? Yeah? yeah. Am I better with that? Anyway, God bless you all. It's lovely to see everybody as as ever. Um, and thank you, Gillian, for that. That was uh, it was touching. Um, and thank you all for cheering for me earlier on when we announced that there would be a competition, <laughs> competitive testimony giving. Um, I think the winner's Jesus, isn't he? Um, because the testimony is of the Lord. It's not our testimony. It's a testimony of what God has done in our lives, which is what makes it fantastic. Um, I, I read in the paper, or the paper, we don't have papers, on the computer, on the news, BBC News, um, about a young lad who had set out from, I think somewhere in France, on a canoe with the intent to sail across the channel. Now, it is only 28 miles and he might have been really good at it and he might have thought this is fantastic and he checked the weather and all the, all the rest of it and he was going to do it and then go home, presumably boast to his friends that he'd managed to carry out the task. Unfortunately for him, he got stuck and he ended up clinging to a boy. And the only thing that kept him alive was that he scraped the muscles off the boy that were on there, that had been there for however long, and he ate them, and he got whatever water he could. And eventually, a ship came along, and he was obviously delighted, and he was jumping up and down and waving to him, and they flung him some food, but couldn't rescue him. And then the helicopter came, and got rescued. And I thought, that is the story of our lives. Really, it's certainly the story of my life, that when you set out, when I set out as a child, I didn't set out the path that I took. You know, we all hope, and, and when you're a kid, especially in the 70s, if you ask what you're going to do, you're going to be a train driver or a whatever, soldier. Uh, everybody now wants to be a blogger. 
uh, but we didn't even know what a vlogger was. Uh, and your mum, certainly my mum had high hopes for me. She wanted to be something like a prime minister. <laughs> and you'll all realise that that's not what happened because I'm certainly not Rishi Sunak. So I did come from a, a really nice family. Mum and dad, you know, they weren't super wealthy, but we had a nice enough house. My mum was a manager in a pub, my dad was a salesman, and we went on holidays abroad when other people weren't, so we were some of the first people to bring back donkeys from Spain. Hands up, who's, who's all brought back a donkey from Spain, and you'd see the um, conveyor belt at the airport, it was just all donkeys, about that height. The richer they are, the bigger the donkey you had in the 70s, and they would all come back, people come back with sombreros, in Spain, more sombreros. Uh, and that was my background, and things were, were fine and nice. And then I went to secondary school, um, and I, I got bullied because I called, come from a boathouse. Now, I did assume that boathouses before this point were actual boats on the River Clyde. And every time I went over the bridge, and you're not to laugh too much, aren't you? I did look for the boathouses, right? Because what's all these boathouses? I don't live in a boat, what are you talking about? So I got bullied um, and that left an impression, it left a deep impression and by the age of about maybe 15 I decided that I'd had enough of bullying and I was going to, if you can't beat them, join them. So I got in with some of the gangs, I got into the wrong crowd, I started carrying a knife all the time to school and out and about um, and about that age we formed, three or few of our friends, we formed our own little gang um, and were we a serious gang? Probably not, but it was all bravado, it was all kids stuff, it was all what we thought was the way you should proceed in life, you know, you get into a gang, you protect yourself, that stops other people picking on you, blah blah blah. And the outcome of that was that one night we got into a proper fight um, and I get done with serious assault with a deadly weapon at 15. Now, on, on the upside, I didn't, you know, the, the, the consequences weren't that bad because I came from a nice home and everything. But I had to move school because it happened to be the people I was fighting were the, the most crazy people. And they came looking for me with shotguns. Now the school didn't kick me out, I won't point that out. But I would have been shot if I'd stayed. So there wasn't really much of a choice then, was there? And the outcome of that really was that new school I went to, they, they didn't really fight. All they did do was take drugs. So I got heavily into drugs. So about 16, uh, between 15 and 16, we started taking drugs. And, it went very quickly from just smoking a bit of hash and whatever through just about everything. Um, and by the age of 1920, really there wasn't a day that I wasn't drinking, taking drugs, fighting, whatever. It was just it was just a, a downhill slide, a gradual downhill slide. And certainly my life was in a mess. Complete utter mess. I was that boy standing on a a life boy going, eating mussels. Because no matter what I'd done, no matter how many drugs I took, no matter how long we partied, we'd party all week, we would drink solid for a week, take drugs solid for a week. There was times when I could say, my goodness, I'm straight today. And we, we, we'd laugh because my goodness, we'd not get, you know, for whatever. So it was just chaotic, um, very disruptive, very self-destructive. You know, there wasn't a, when you're young, you don't think you're ever going to die, so you just keep doing it as hard as you can. And I was never happy. 
I was just never happy. No matter what I'd done to fill this hole in my life, to, to become the person that I thought I should be, I was never, ever happy. And as Jillian said, God, in her life, God started to work in my life. You know what, I had a... Excuse me. I had a friend that was praying for me, he was a Christian, um, and I, I didn't really know that, we just laughed at him. You know, he'd say I'm praying for you, and we'd think, yeah, very good. I'll let you go, pal. Somebody's schooling you. Um, and the Lord started doing things, and I don't want to put much of my time here because I could go on. Um, and there were miraculous things. I was, me and my mate, my mate was an ex-junkie, and he was an alky instead, as, as you do, you know, you give up one addiction for another. Um, he'd come off heroin probably 10 years before I met him, and he just drank all day, every day. He took acid, he took acid, we'd done mushrooms, we'd done everything. And um, we, we went on a road trip in Scotland, and for the two of us that involved hiring a van now, remembering he had lost his license for drink driving so we managed to get a van and we drove up north so drunk that when we stopped to pick up hitchhikers they wouldn't get in the car with us and the one hitchhiker that did get in the car cried literally to get back out he was terrified so we were on that trip and at some point on the trip, a couple of things happened that were unusual. One, one very unusual, one was very spiritual. But the first thing that happened was the police grabbed us. I think they were three in the morning and we got a knock in the window, we were sleeping in the van. It's only a wee escort van. And the, the, the van was strewn with cans and hash and whatever. And my mate had two warrants out on him. So the people I was hanging about with were really what you would call nice people by any standards. Most of them are dead. We've only got one of my mates still alive. The rest are all dead from stabbings and uh, overdoses. And um, they let us go, which was a miracle. The guy, I don't know if he couldn't be bothered signing the paperwork after, but he just went, right boys, on you go. And the two of us are sitting going, how on earth did we get away with that? And the reason we got away with it was the next day, we were going by a loch, and I couldn't honestly tell you what loch it was. I know we were up by Tain and up around Loch Lomond, the way we got up, so I couldn't really tell you where it was. But we had to stop because my mate was so drunk he decided that he needed a break. Not because he was dangerous, just he wanted a wee break to sit down. Yeah, so we parked the car up and I got out of the car and walked up to the side of the loch and I saw the, the jagged nettles. And the thing that came into my head was, where's the doken leaves? You know, you get the leaves if you sting yourself or something. I'm pure fully here, I'm down to fall in these nettles somehow. So I'm getting out of the car and I'm totally up, completely off my face. Flumped down. And I sat and I came in and it wasn't me, you know, where do these thoughts come from? And this is, I think it's the Lord, you know, I can see it is. But I thought, that's what I'm doing to my life. I'm taking out the sting, cutting the pain, whatever. Cause me to take drugs. Now I'm still in my mind, I'm still a wee boy. All the chaos that goes on, that what keeps you sane. But whatever was at the root of that, I was covering up. I was taking drugs to take away the pain, take away the hurt, take away the anger. So I was angry. And um, I thought, Where, where's the dog leaves? And I started singing a Pink Floyd song, Tell Me True, Tell Me Why Was Jesus Crucified? Is that for this that Daddy died? I don't know why I started singing that song, but now I know what it is. Jesus had a lock upon me. I was literally lying flat out on the ground, 
And I know because when I get saved, I have it's happened since, obviously, the presence is walking down. And oh, I get such a fright. What? What is that? And I, I leapt up. And I clearly saw in my mind Jesus standing saying, you're going to be all right. So, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> I can't do this without crying. It's difficult. So, from that point, really the Lord was working in my life. He'd been working before, but that was a major thing. So I got up and I grabbed my mate and I said, it's quite good to go back to the car. I've seen Jesus. And he just laughed at me. He just thought I was mad. I'm like, no, no, we need to drive away from here because Jesus is here. And I don't, you know, I, I don't know what's happened. And the Lord was slowly bringing me around, bringing me around. Um, that, that incident wouldn't leave me. It just wouldn't. You know, something had happened. What I started finding was that the odd day I didn't take drugs, which was rare. I was actually feeling quite good. I was feeling lifted. I'm thinking, what is that? What's going on here? The sum of it, and I will come and watch my time, I'm 10 minutes already. <coughs> my mate that had been praying for me trapped me. Giorgio asked me down to his house one day, and I said, Look, um, come down to the house, you better not talk about Jesus. Whatever you do, don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to hear that, I'm not interested. I'll come down, I'll get stoned, whatever. I don't mean talking to you. And him and his pal, his pal was there as well, he had to tell me that, started witnessing to me. And when Jillian says, you know, our life is saved, my life is saved. That night, they, they went, look, he said, what's stopping you being a Christian? And it was a real challenge, what's stopping you? He said, you know your life's a mess. And I went, well, I can't disagree with that. I can't stop taking drugs. I can't stop fighting. I don't want to be this person anymore. I can't keep living this life. I know it's wrong. with stealing, you know. If you got the Ten Commandments and then you wrote another 20, I'd have broken them all by the time it was maybe 18. There was nothing I wasn't into that was wrong. And um, I said, I said, Lord, don't leave me alone. I said, I don't, I don't want to think about it. And he said, no, just think about it. And I thought, the only thing that's keeping me here in this mess now is my mates. A loyalty to a bunch of people really couldn't care less for me. But if I, you know, if I found found dead the next day, they wouldn't even come to the funeral. And, and I thought, you know what? They don't really care about me. I'm like, why should I bother about meeting them tomorrow and telling them I'm a Christian and it'll change? And I, I kind of gave the boy a challenge. He says, all right, look, pray for me. I says, but tomorrow I'll be the same man. Nothing can change me. Nothing can change me because this is who I am. And they laid hands on me. And the God came down and totally, utterly transformed me. I was crying for I was crying for hours. I was up all night just weeping before the Lord and then praying for me. I knew that I was a sinner and I knew that I was saved. 100%. Did they want to take drugs anymore? Did they want to smoke? Did they want to everything? It was just gone. The Lord just took all of that away from me. It was like I was a new creation. Completely, utterly. A new creation. And the next morning, <coughs> been up most of the night, and got a couple of sleep. Went to went up the road. I went. I think I went to church first. And I was sitting at the back of the church of Scotland, tears. But not many people do. I got a few wee looks from the congregation. Who's that strange person at the back of the church crying? And I went home, and my brother turned around to me and said, "You've changed. You've become a Christian." 
Der var til Tonton, så tager på ord, og det siger, at når vi det er en anden. Nej, jeg har mig flens, der var for mig. Vi tænkte, det så vi med eks, men det var for mig. Og for os, når jeg var der, var jeg ikke Så, jeg kan se det var til. Nå, det var spændigt, jeg var ikke for mig, for jeg var der, 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 for My head was everywhere. All I wanted to do was take drugs, party, whatever. Okay, I was not a very stable person. Uh, maybe sometimes I'm now. Okay. I'm saying 35 years. <laughs> 35 years, that's, that's older than I ever thought. I could have got to 30, so that's 55 years old. I was in a coma. And uh, the medical is I'm still going. Bro and also my sister there, Jillian, and all of you. And do you believe that maybe, maybe right now, you know, Tony mentioned there was a there was a Christian friend. Are you that Christian friend for somebody coming into these doors at Middlesbrough? Now I'm not putting on board to you because I don't believe in it to some kind of manipulative call because God doesn't work like that. But is God challenging us as a local fellowship? Listen to the testimonies amongst us. We could probably go around this room and, and, and in days to come, I'm going to ask more people to do this because I think it's very, very important that we get to know each other what salvation experience means in each one of our lives. It encourages us that each one of us has a miraculous story because getting saved is miraculous, isn't it? And then you get the opportunity to be a Christian friend to a neighbour, to somebody you don't know that comes into the house. So just quickly ask Joe just to put back up the slide just for a second, please. Uh, I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for Gillian and I thank you for the blessing of salvation in her life. We pray just afresh today, your richest blessing on our Lord. Thank you for our salvation. We pray for Olivia and Thomas and that they know Jesus and that the, there's the, the just wider blessing and confirmations, Father, whether it's in the, in the cafe that she has and different things. We just pray that she might know clearly this is the way walk in it. Thank you for her being in the fellowship here. And we just pray she might even be encouraged just sharing that as we were encouraged. And we also just know even more how wonderful you are when we hear that ministry that you, you have done and are doing in our life. I thank you for my brother Tony and I thank you for his family also here. And we bless you, God, for the Christian friend who was praying for him. And more than that, Father, that as our brother said, this, the testimony is all about you, God, because ultimately it was your plan. And it was your purpose to save Tony and we thank you for him and we thank you for the way he's shared today and we just pray Father for, for all of us as well including um, Tony and Gillian that you'll just help us to take the opportunities that you give us 
to share the reason for the hope that we have. And we pray that you'll help us to do it as you've told us in your word, with gentleness and with respect. In Jesus' name. Just uh, close with Cornerstone. Thanks, Charlie and Nathan. You've been part. Thanks.